Listener Production. So we've got so many toys and services out there already that are available to criminals to use to break into organisations. Some great examples we've seen recently of organisations where you would think they'd be smart enough not to get hit, like NASA, they're literally rocket scientists, but also Instagram, Canva, we're seeing all these organisations that probably do quite a lot on the cybersecurity front, but they're getting hit anyway. And some of the ways they're getting hit are due to these clever toys and social engineering. So one in particular that's piqued my interest recently is the OMG cable. So something like 80,000 units of these things have sold globally. There's multiple vendors. They're coming out of China. They're, they're sold locally here in Australia as well through a company called Hack5. And what this cable allows you to do is sell it on the street. Sometimes we'll do a hack where we pretend to be the Red Cross service, for example, and we'll give out red-branded Red Cross USB cables in front of the business that we're attacking. And these things get get taken up. The staff enjoy it, they love it, they want a new charger for their iPhone, for their Android mobile. Unfortunately, as soon as you plug this thing in, we then have a shell access to the device. Other toys we see out there that we've spoken about already, the the Wi-Fi pineapples that are doing man-in-the-middle attacks, evil USBs, and even scarier to date, things that are going to influence state and businesses and We've actually seen a recent example of this being used is deep fakes. And what deep fakes are is someone will create a model saying whatever they want to, uh, a message that is not said by the person, and then they'll put that person's face on the model. So you can have a politician saying something they never said. You can have a small business owner promoting a product with a celebrity. Uh, in Australia, we recently saw the example of a financial planner who was friends with her client on Facebook. Her Facebook got hacked. And then the individual then used, or the criminal then used a video to send a message to a financial planner saying, hey, please send $106,000 to this bank account. I'm going to be away for the next few days on holidays. This is my authority to do so. So the tool set's growing absolutely every day and the kit that is available is huge. So to talk about how we're going to combat some of that today, we've got Shweeney from AT&T Cybersecurity and his organization actually helps businesses, large and small, to respond, detect, and protect from these threats. And they've basically got a pretty good toolkit that's going to stop a lot of these attacks. If you combine it with education, awareness, process, people, and technology, you get the basics right, you're going to stop most hackers. AT&T Security are preventing these style attacks, and how you guys as a company are constantly evolving to know about these threats and protect from these threats? At ATT, what we do is we monitor, we detect, and we respond to cyber threats. So let's break it down a little bit. So what service you guys actually provide is some software that can go on to all these endpoints and all these ways that a criminal, such as myself a long time ago, would use to get into an organization. And then you'll create an alert, and then you'll have a company like ours that'll monitor those alerts. That's correct. So how do you actually go about developing the technology to protect from something like an OMG cable, especially when these attacks are coming out you know, daily, weekly? So uh, let me give you an analogy of how, how the cybersecurity attack really manifests itself. So just imagine a home. A home has a sensor for motion detection. So 
that gets triggered when they when somebody moves in inside the house for say an extended period of time. You can time it for 30 seconds, 45 seconds, 90 seconds, whatever the time is, and the alarm goes off when it detects a motion. And those alarms can be either back to base, or it can it can be triggered to go to a security company, or it could your phone can ring and saying, hey, there's there's an intruder in your at your home. Now extend that capability to something with a video surveillance which will monitor the house from the outside and give you alerts of something that is happening before an intruder gets into your house. That's threat intelligence. That is threat intelligence. With AT&T cybersecurity, we do the same thing. So we are not only foreseeing what is happening in the, in the periphery of the organization, we see what the surface area, where people are coming from, from a software point of view, which IP address the criminals are originating from. Are they they're doing an uh, environmental scan on your, on your organization? And if there is, uh, say, for example, going back to the home example, if there is a weak link, say, for example, a day earlier, there was a hailstorm and one of the windows get shattered and you are not aware of that, there is a weak link or a vulnerability where, where the house is exposed to so that the intruder can easily penetrate instead of going through the front door. So that's a classic example of the seam where the organizations are growing into cloud and also doing a digitalization. The surface area of attack has, has increased. It also gives more chance for the servers to be exposed to the to the criminals. And what all the criminals are, it's, it's become an industry. And what they're doing here is it's no longer a one or two man shop. It's botnet attacks. It's machines which look at uh, where the vulnerability is. And as it goes, they find the weakest link in the organization to attack. So a great example of this is using this technology, we were used, able to use the threat intelligence side of things during the census attack to see that minutes after that minister made that statement, people were starting to talk about how BS that was, how ridiculous it was. We saw hacker groups talking on Reddit, creating forums, saying things like, let's teach them a lesson. And using those tools, if they had had us as a client or if they were our client, we could have warned them, A, that was a bad idea to say that. And secondly, you're about to uh, face a pretty impending storm. That is correct. So let's play a little bit of a game here. (laughs) So I'm going to put my black hat back on. And I want to find out how AT&T cybersecurity is going to stop me. Okay. Okay. So day one, I decide that I'm going to hack into this big Australian company, maybe an ASX listed company. Usually big companies like that, I'll have some kind of specific goal in mind and I might not have all the resources that I need to attack it. Mm -hmm. So step one, I'm going to jump on the dark web. I'm going to create a new room. I'm going to invite a few of my friends. I'm going to start talking about this company. I'm going to say, say to my friends, okay, we want some money, we need the data, we need some IP, and these guys are jerks. I want to damage their reputation. And first thing we want to do is we want to take down the website. We're going to do a DDoS attack on them. So I need to get all my friends involved, and let's say we need to get, say, 50,000 IP addresses are going to take down this website. How would you detect that? Okay, so it starts before the actual attack. We monitor about a third of the world's internet traffic. So we know exactly That's amazing, what a third of the internet traffic. Yep. How much data is that and how do you do that? The way we, uh, the third of the internet traffic in, in terms of physical data is imagine a CD stacked up up to the space station. 
stacked, CDs stacked, one, stacked on one, one, one on one, and the data, the data would reach goes up to the space station. That is the amount of traffic that we see on a daily, day-to-day basis. Anybody and everybody who is on an internet, there's a good chance that they are going through the AT&T network, and that is how we collect that information. Is that concerning for for organisations, or that we obviously we're using that for good? All this traffic that we're monitoring, how is that helping to protect us? There are good actors and bad actors. So what we do is we look at the bad actors and that with with malicious intent, with the leading indicators of compromise based on our threat intelligence in the background. And we eliminate the noise and the noise can be good actors and we are focusing on the bad actors. And that could be the wannacries of the world, Uh, could be the sambas of the world. And we are able to monitor because of the feeds that we are getting from globally. It is not just one location. It could be prevalent in multiple locations at the same time. All those indicators come to us and we we use apply apply machine learning and artificial intelligence with human expertise to figure out what what, what those indicators of compromise actually mean to the systems are in place for our customers and come up with correlation directives to protect them. And one of the flip sides of, a, of the coin, if we, we throw it back to our cartoon days, I'm going to show my age a little bit here, mm-hmm. with Transformers. Yep. The, the Decepticons knew where the Transformers or the, the Autobots, I believe it was called, base was. Us as the good guys, everyone has access to this data. Everyone has access to the Open Threat Exchange. And unfortunately, sometimes evil people actually use that data to learn what's the new vulnerability, what's the latest things. And if a company has a vulnerability like that and they don't have software to detect it, the the evil entity is going to use this threat intelligence system as a learning factor to breach into those organizations that haven't protected themselves first. Right. So with pinpoint accuracy, we can go web. We operate in 199 countries across the globe and we have communities in 140-odd countries across the globe. So we have a lot of intelligence that goes behind the scenes uh, from who's doing what, and there's a lot of noise out there. So how do we pinpoint that there is some something which is malicious? Is by uh, using Open Threat Exchange. What we just, do just is, explain to us a little bit about what the Open Threat Exchange is. The Open Threat Exchange is an uh, open community with 100,000 people uh, people all across the globe who participate in feeding in the indicators of compromise. So kind of like spies against hackers all right. over the world. All over the world. So it's, a, it's an open community and, it's, and we believe that the cyber criminals need to be addressed at scale. It is not an organization that needs to deal with it. it is a, it's a group of people, like-minded people who need to come as a force to combat this this industry as such. And this community is great, by the way. We're constantly seeing updates to threats. We're constantly seeing new articles put out. We're constantly seeing the community help each other. We rely on it heavily. And in this particular case, you would have detected that there's a lot of noise about this particular company or customer. Right. And it's a particular threat. Right. And you may even be able to detect the way that I'm going to try and enter the organization. Exactly. So, so what, what we do, we, we, we analyze the different packets that is going on. It's not particular to a particular company that we are, we, are, we are looking at. We are looking at it from a broader spectrum of what is the leading indicator of compromise. So typically in our day, OTX, uh, our alien labs, or our research team, they get about 19 million threat indicators or wow. indicators of compromise every day. 
which is a lot of noise. So what they do is behind the scenes, we use to combat this high velocity threat indicators, we use artificial intelligence and machine learning. So we have about 8,000 customers globally. And what we have learned from them, what are the leading indicators that goes through the machine learning. So it, it funnels down to, to one or two indicators per day. So at the end of it, uh, applying machine learning and artificial intelligence and human capital, uh, investment of human capital within Alien Labs, uh, the data scientists look at those indicators of compromise and build correlation directives to help our customers combat such threats. Okay, so going back to our little game. So you have detected that I've formed some kind of a team and I'm going to send a denial of service attack. If they're a managed security provider like us, we can inform that client to go and put some protections in place Correct. to prevent them from going down for a DDoS attack. That is All right. right. I'm a stubborn little hacker. Mm-hmm. That hasn't worked. That's angered me. Mm-hmm. So I've formed my team now and now I'm doing social recon. I'm finding about who works there, the executives, and I've found a few weak targets. And I think that I'm going to be able to get in by going in on site and planting one of these OMG USB cables and getting a shell into either a server or a laptop or someone of high position. How are you going to detect me? Well, uh, this threat intelligence is not just limited to outsider attack. Yes, we do very well when it comes to the traffic outside. However, our threat intelligence team is uh, is constantly working on insider attack as well. So that's where we are uniquely placed, where one solution can monitor, detect, and analyze uh, attacks both uh, from the outside as well as inter- insider attacks. So... For example, in your case where you place a USB key into, you found the weak link with the person, the people within the organization, you hand them a USB key, we can easily detect that there was an anomaly that somebody has downloaded our malware in the in the laptop or in the server that was not intended to. So within, within a couple of minutes, an alarm will be raised to manage security provider to take a protective action against that particular uh, event that that just recently happened. Okay, so now me or someone like me is inside the building, they've hijacked a laptop, alert's gone to a security operations center somewhere and the security team's coming down to arrest them. Yep. What about in the case where we're seeing now cloud threats? So back in the day, the issue was patching, you know, vulnerabilities. Okay, I go and find an organization that has a vulnerability. I have some code written that's going to exploit that vulnerability. That's not so much the case anymore with cloud computing. They do a pretty good job of patching and security. Yep. But we're now looking at things like identity and access management. Mm -hmm. So I've actually stolen the identity of uh, one of the executives. And my goal is to get onto the ERP system and also the online banking systems. Right. So there are m- multiple ways of, uh, to, if your identity is stolen, there is, identity is just not just the username and password. There's step-up authentication that you have to do with multi-factor authentication. And multi-factor can be a phone. Say, for example, the phone is also compromised. There is more to the security itself in terms of getting access to the applications that uh, a criminal want, might want to get access to. So stepping up the authentication from an identity and access point of view is, is the first step. However, if that is also compromised for some reason. So what, I've gone, I've gone, I've conned the laptop, I've yep. stolen the phone, I've got the laptop, I've yep. figured out what his password is. Yes. And now, yep. in my opinion, 
Swiss cheese. It's game on for me. Yes. No. Not 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 from if you, if you have a AT&T cybersecurity in place. And the reason for that is very simple. You can configure rules within the solution to say where is the IP address coming from. So regardless of the fact that you have uh, stolen the laptop, you, if, you are, if, you're, if you're using the laptop from an area or an IP address or, or a Wi-Fi signal, which is outside of the, the company's uh, perimeter, then we can alert. We can also alert on the fact that they, they tried a couple of uh, different logins. So that can also be alerted. High-risk account. High-risk account. And the time of the day. When it is getting, say, for example, you uh, my my laptop and my phone get stolen, and I have a pattern of logging in from say three o'clock to five o'clock. That's my high activity. And when you log in, probably you log in at eleven a.m. or say eleven p.m. When I typically never log in, so that is again an indicator, an alarm can be raised, for indicating that hey, there might be a breach or there might be a laptop which which is stolen. So there are multiple ways to figure out whether it's a legitimate uh, login to the system or uh, or something something fishy or something malicious is happening behind the scenes. So this is one of the reasons I'm so passionate and I love this industry. It's kind of this war between good and evil. Yep. The so in our organizations we call the the bad team or the the team that's going to go and attack the red team and the good team that works with companies like yourselves, the blue team. So we see uh, the adoption of user behavior analytics, and there's some partners that partner with you to be able to feed some of that data into the AT&T cybersecurity dashboards. Yep. So when you couple user behavior analytics, and that's how you use a computer, what applications you use, how you type, all these different bits and pieces, we can then get a hacker like myself going to an organization, unbeknownst to me, the way I'm typing has already pinged me off. Yep. The way that I'm using a PowerShell script has already pinged me off. Yes. And it's all reporting back to my Alien Vault dashboard being monitored by a security operations center by a company like ours. Yep. So it's really becoming harder and harder. But the cool, fun part of it, I guess, and, and this is bad for organizations, but it's, it is, again, one of the reasons I've got passion for it is the red teams are constantly evolving. Yes. So the old day keyloggers, and a keylogger is a way of recording keystrokes is now easily detectable by antivirus, by some of the ML endpoint detection response, even the EDR built into AlienVault will detect a keylogger. Yep. The new versions of the keyloggers are just simply HID devices. So yes, you can put an alert to say if anyone plugs in a new keyboard, that could be a critical alert. But some of the really clever new ones are actually recording keystrokes. Yeah. So if I need a combination of keys as a hacker, and I don't want to trigger one of these user behavior analytics threats, I can record how a user types. Yep. How do you how do you fight against those sorts of things? Like it's all about uh, behavioral analytics. So, for example, it's my laptop, and I'm I'm I have a, a keystroke of say 100 keys per stroke per minute, and you are typing at uh, 200 per minute. Thank you. That's a big compliment. Right. So that is that is an abnormal behavior mm. of my user. So there is a, a we, we can set up a rule which 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 will alert that hey there is something going on here. Or we can also see how that pattern in which applications they are logging in. Say, for example, you log into, say, the cloud applications such as uh, Microsoft uh, Azure Single Sign-On. Just give us an example of what Single Sign-On is. Yes. Single Sign-On is basically log into one uh, application, which is an identity and access uh, management solution, such as Okta or Microsoft Azure. And uh, once you have that credential uh, with the username and password, 
you, depending on the, uh, the organization, they can either step up the authentication with uh, SMS, with uh, multi-factor authentication like the Okta Verify or Google Authenticator, and then take it or or take it take it a little further with your fingerprint sector on that device to make sure that you are who you are logging into the into the system. So these are very good applications where you're consolidating them and giving access to make life easier for an employee or for your consumer. So we're making life easier and we're increasing the security. Correct. We are increasing the security. And what's fascinating about these new technologies, they just weren't possible because there's so much data feeding into this environment, this system. Maybe five years, it just wasn't possible to actually aggregate, make any sense of that data and then do something about it. That's right. But look, the, the user behavior analytics side of it can be detected now. And what really is sort of opened up into my mind over the last three years is there's not really any excuse for organizations not to deploy these fantastic products anymore. Yep. It makes it so much harder for us as a red team to breach an organization if they've got the basics right. And the right. basics are, can you actually detect us? Can you see that we're planning an attack or there's some kind of vulnerability in the organization? How far down the road you can see really helps. So the, that threat intelligence piece is key. The actual detection of a live attack is key. Protecting of your assets is key. Having strong leadership and training and gamifying it and creating cyber awareness rather than just sending your staff through to another training workshop. Agreed. And yeah, it's just frustrating for us to see so many large organizations that still haven't done these things. Why is that, do you well, think? From, from what I see out there in the market, everybody thinks that their house is secure. They have a big firewall, a big steel gate in front of their house, but nobody can 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 get in. Just a heads up. So the last time we used a firewall to gain entry into an organization has to be at least 36 months ago. Yep. They're, they're just too hard to penetrate. Yes. And there are a lot easier ways to get in. That's right. So that is why there's a false sense of security that customers think that uh, I have a firewall, I have an antivirus in place, and we are safe. However... Going back to my example of the house, where there is a vulnerability with a cra- with a with a cracked window, what is the attacker trying to uh, use? He's going to use the weakest link, and that is an opening in the window to get into the house. Same thing happens in organizations. You don't know that something has happened bef- after uh, until it has happened, and it is too late. It, it causes a lot of grief with respect to brand reputation, intangible uh, loss of revenue, customers going away from the brand, or even the loyal customers find like, hey, what if my personal data has been compromised? You know, we've seen so many breaches this year. I mean, the one that I keep harping on, which I think is kind of funny, is that my health records have had 42 breaches. Yep. We were speaking to a fairly prominent uh, government figure the other day, and I can't mention who it is, but he gave us some facts that every... 40 seconds as an attack. Yep. Every four minutes on our government networks, there's a successful attack. Yep. Yesterday, I received a text from my bank saying that, hey, three of your debit card is now active. I did not do that. And the next line in the text message says, if you, ha- if you did not do this, you should contact the bank immediately. I called them up and then they did a voice recognition of myself. Well, there was no question asked on who you are, what whether no identity was really was revealed on the phone because it can be tapped and somebody can can get my mother's maiden name. So the banks are using voice recognition technology voice recognition to, to authenticate to you. authenticate me. So I got authenticated and then 
they looked up my record to figure out that I had deactivated one account and that triggered in the back end uh, an activation of my card and they quickly went ahead and deactivated my card permanently. Now, anybody can mimic uh, somebody else. There are processes and technologies available in the back end which basically detects who you are and in what context you are speaking, in what context you are, you are, you are trying to gain access to, uh, to a particular record or gain access to a particular thing which you have based on a lot of other parameters such as the time of the day, the place, the location of where you are doing a particular activity, the IP address that a person is coming from, etc. So there's a lot of other intelligence. Uh, as this deepfake is, is evolving, there are the technology surrounding that, which leads to that particular deepfake, is more advanced, is getting more and more better to, to combat that particular issue. Well, we already know there's, there's software out there that can detect a deep video mm -hmm. online, deep video fake online. And I'd urge companies just to have a meeting about this. It doesn't take a hell of a lot of thought to come up with a policy that's going to stop deep fakes in their tracks. Exactly. So we already have things like user behavior analytics, but we also have things like behavior confirmation. Yep. So let's use the merger and acquisition one. The CEOs rang up and said, transfer some money. All we need to do, and all the banks have these systems available to say, if a large sum of money, I want two sign-offs. Yeah, process in place for two or three sign-offs. Make two of the leadership sign off. It, yeah. They're going to get an SMS saying, hey, I want to transfer 7 million euro to this bank account. Someone's going to go, uh, no. Yeah, exactly. And look, you, we talk about the noise as well. You can set a threshold, something that's not going to damage your company in the lower threshold. But you know, no company has an excuse for transferring 7 million euro without some kind of verification. Exactly. But it's happening every day. So organizations need to take a bit of a three-pronged approach. Have a meeting about this. Get workshops by companies like us that will educate you into what the latest threats are. Yep. Listen to podcasts like this and then create policies. Another old one that you know is along the same lines as a deep fake voice or a deep fake video is simply walking into an organization. The simple fix for that is, and we've deployed this for many of our customers, if you don't know someone in an organization, have a monthly meeting and say, the passphrase for this month is, hey, how's your weekend? Yep. And everyone in the organization knows that month they have to answer in a specific way. If that person doesn't answer in a specific way, you get the security guards and off they go. They're busted. Hackers generally are easily scared off. Exactly. They don't want to go to jail. They don't want to get caught. So policies, some thought around it, some education around it, technologies that are developing to actually detect these types of behavior. So we can already deploy technology to detect a deep fake online. The deep voice is a little bit harder and it, it can thwart some identification process of banks, for example. But the banks have secondary processes they need to enact. And thirdly, we just need to be a little bit more aware of these types of attacks and do something about it. Cyber Hacker was brought to you by CTRL Group. Presented by me, Bastian Treptel. Produced by Matt Dwyer, our very own Stephen Williams from CTRL Group. And special thanks to Carissa Breen. Hacking is real. People and organisations are being taken down every day. If you'd like some professional advice and assistance, go online to ctrlgroup.com.au and we'll help you. Listener.